Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. Hello, church. It's good to be back with you. This is Sunday, May the 24th, and this is episode 18 of House to House. Today, we're going to take a, just a short break from Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we'll be back there, Lord willing, next week. But we've spent the last six or seven weeks talking about submission in some form or another. We're all submitting to one another, wives submitting to husbands, children submitting to parents, employees submitting to employers. A lot of submission going on for the last six or seven weeks. And sometimes uh, it's important just to stop and have some balancing truth that goes in there. It's not always appropriate to submit. There are occasions, although I've found them in my life rare, there are occasions where we're not to submit, where instead we should make an appeal. And so we're going to talk today what a biblical appeal looks like. Um, we're going to have some fun with it. I think you'll enjoy it, do some different things, um, especially if you've got kids watching this with you. Um, you can make this fun with them as well. So I'll share more of that in just a minute. But we'll be, we'll be doing that as we go through uh, how to make a biblical appeal and do that, talk about that together. Now, before I do that, though, I want us to stop and just give thanks. Um, right where you are, even when we stop the tape here in just a moment, it would be appropriate to go around and just give something, share something that you're thankful for something that you're grateful for, someone that you're grateful for, a gift from God in your life that you want to thank Him for. I um, have to be honest with you, this week was tough for me. I couldn't get motivated to get ready for today. Um, Every time I sat down to study, to pray, to press in, I just wasn't motivated. And it was hard and I'd try and then I'd quit and I'd go do something else. And that happens to all of us. No matter what we do, we run into these times where we just hit a wall. Well, I hit the wall, and then I was kind of griping and complaining. Sometimes I moan to Lori a little bit. I don't want to do this, and, you know, am I too young to retire? You know, just all these kind of things that go on, and, and the answer is yes, I am too young to retire. And by the way, I don't think God has retirement in my future or yours either. He's got a plan for us until the day we die. But all that being said, I was struggling. And it's amazing to me, and what I'm thankful for this morning is the fresh, renewing work and power of God's Word in our life. Lori was listening to last week's message. Now, usually I don't listen to them because it's hard to watch and listen to yourself. But she was listening to it, and I happened to be there. I was laying there next to her, and she was going through it. And something that was being said right out of the Word really stirred within me. And this whole idea, now I had just shared this with you just a few days earlier, but I had forgotten already that I work as unto the Lord. I don't even work for you. I don't work for the church. I don't work for LifePoint Church. I work as unto the Lord. I serve as unto the Lord. It stirred something fresh and new in me. And I sat down with the Lord, went to my desk, sat down, said, Lord, I serve you. And this isn't about me. It is about you. And I'm asking you to do something fresh and new in my heart. And he did. And it was exciting just to watch it begin to kind of pour out. His word is renewing and refreshing and transforming. There's power in His Word. And so I'm grateful for that, and I give Him praise and thanks. What are you grateful for today? It'd be appropriate to express that uh, with one another. I'm going to pray for us as we do that, all right? Lord, would you help us during this time right now, before we begin, just to express our praise verbally, that we would communicate to you, and all those around would hear, what we are grateful for, who we are grateful for, all of the gifts 
that you have poured out in our life. Lord, we give you praise and thanks. And we pray this in Jesus' name. We'll see you in just a minute. Welcome back. As we get into how to make a biblical appeal or what does that look like, we're going to look at some stories from the Scripture today. As a matter of fact, there are five different stories, five different characters in the Bible that we're going to take a look at. I want to do it differently, though. And so we're going to, through as we go between these, we're going to stop and take a break. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a hint as to who they are. Before I talk more about them and expound a little bit, I want to give you a hint. We're going to take a break. And you're going in your group, or if you're by yourself, you can try to figure out, do I know who this person is, or do I know this story? Uh, am I aware of it? The, the first couple are pretty hard, um, but I'll give you a reference as well to go along with it. So if you get stumped, you can go look up the biblical reference, and you'll begin to see it and read it. You might even like to read the story before you come back. That's okay. Uh, or you may just take a minute to answer the question and jump right back in. That's really up to you and your setting. If you've got kids there, you can have some fun with this and make it trivia. Um, so anyway, there are just lots of different things that you can do. Be creative in all of this. So here's the first one. Are you ready? This person, um, actually, in this situation, there was an appeal that was made. And it was very unique because the characters that God used were so unique, you wouldn't even think of this as an appeal. But in this situation, there was a person who normally was listening to the Lord, very attentive and responsive to the direction of God. But in this situation, they got distracted by the potential of a lot of financial gain. And so an appeal had to be made to them because they were so distracted by the, the, this temporary gain that they were going to give that they weren't listening to what God was saying. Do you think you know who this might be, what this story might be about? If, you're, if you don't know, if that's not enough of a clue after you've gone around a little bit, uh, you can go over to 1 Samuel chapter 22. No, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 22. 1 Samuel's coming up later. Numbers chapter 22. The story is there, but don't start there, all right? Try to figure it out first. If you can't, go over and read in Numbers 22. It'll come back to you. And after you've done that, turn the video back on and we'll continue on. All right, so did you figure it out? You realize now, if you went to Numbers 22, we're talking about Balaam and his donkey. You think, wait a second, donkeys, how does a donkey make an appeal? Well, he does in this situation because God supernaturally works and allows, um, allows us to get some incredible insight into what it means to make an appeal. Here's a couple things I want you to see about this. Number one, the one who was literally under Balaam all right, so we talk about position and authority and all that. Literally, the donkey is under Balaam, but he can see danger. The donkey, he or she, we don't know if it's a he or she donkey. The donkey can see danger that Balaam cannot see. Sometimes we're in a situation where the one who we are responsible to, the one in authority over us, there's danger they cannot see, and God's allowing us to see it. And in those situations, he's wanting us to be able to communicate that to the one who needs to see it but they can't see it. Maybe they can't see it because there's so tunnel vision on where they're trying to go and the goals that they're trying to achieve. As a matter of fact, that's the second thing that really stands out to me in this. Balaam is so set on his goal and where he's going and what he's trying to accomplish. He has such tunnel vision that he can't even see God doing the supernatural. You say, well, what do you mean? When you read that story in Numbers 22, 
the thing that stands out the most to me is Balaam is angry when his donkey starts talking to him. That doesn't seem like the right response. All right? Your donkey starts talking to you. Anger seems like the last thing on your list of responses. Um, Fear, maybe. Amazement. Bewilderment. I mean, there are all kinds of things. Checking your glass. I mean, you know, your hearing aid, whatever it might be. There are a lot of responses that come to mind, but anger is not one of them. Balaam is so intent on getting what he wants that he completely overlooks the fact that God just allowed his donkey to talk to him. That happens in our lives. We get so focused and intent on what we want and what we're trying to get, what we're trying to acquire, that often we miss the supernatural. When we're making an appeal, one of the things that we're helping the one that we're appealing to, what we're helping them with is to see the supernatural that they may have missed because they were so intent on their goal. So don't miss these things from the donkey. We learn from the donkey. Sometimes there's dangers that God allows us to see because he wants us to communicate those. And sometimes he wants to do supernatural things around us and in us and through us so that the one in authority can see that as well and see God at work. All right, you ready for the second one? This person is a wise woman. She makes an appeal and she saves her city from destruction. And she does it by doing two things. First, by having a humble attitude, and number two, by helping the one in authority realize a better way to achieve his goals, all right? So she saves her city from destruction, and she does it by being humble and by giving a better alternative to the one in charge. Any idea who this might be? Again, if it doesn't sound familiar after you've thought about it and talked about it for a little bit, go over to 2 Samuel chapter 20, beginning in verse 14. And you'll see the story. Now, parental warning here. If you've got small children and you're doing this, this story has some violence in it, all right? So you might look at it ahead of time and decide whether you want to skip over this story or not with your kids. That's up to you, all right? Either way, I'll see you back in just a minute. All right. Did you find the story there in 2 Samuel? It's interesting because if you were looking for her name, you missed it because it's not there. It doesn't name her. It just says a wise woman. It does tell us about the city. It tells us that Joab is after Sheba and all. It tells us all the things that are going on there. But it does not tell us the name of the woman. It just says that she comes and she makes an appeal to Joab because he set up this this, um, wall, if you will, this embankment outside the city walls they're basically battering them down and wearing them down and, and, and setting siege to the city with the intent of getting in. And everyone inside believes we're all going to die. And we don't even know why we're going to die. We don't know what this is all about. And so she comes and she makes an appeal. Notice how she does this in verse 17. First, she says, I am your servant. There's a humility. It's not, you big bad bully. What are you doing? No, I'm your servant. I'm, I'm putting myself underneath. I, I'm not here opposing you. I have a humble spirit, a humble attitude. She goes on and she reminds, hey, our city is known for being a place where you can get wise counsel. People have come here for years looking for counsel. And we're known for um, just the way that we serve and the wisdom that is here. And, and so why is it that you want to destroy us. So here's what she does. First of all, she humbles herself. Then she reminds Joab, hey, we have a history 
of being wise, of being under authority. We have a history of helping and being beneficial in, in our country, in our nation. And, and then why would you want to come and destroy all that? She asks a really good question. She gets some clarification. Sometimes that's what we do in an appeal. Number one, we must have a humble spirit. We must have a humble attitude when we're doing this. You can't go in demanding your own way. I have rights. That's the American way. It's not the God way. All right? I yielded all my rights to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've surrendered them to him. And now I receive what he gives me. So do you. So I have this, this humility. I want to walk in this humility. Not just when I'm going to make the appeal. I want to have a history of walking this way. If I just start now, if I have a history of having a bad attitude, I have a history of always being a troublemaker. I have a history of trying to always do it a different way. When I come in to make my appeal, no matter how humble I pretend to be, my history kind of comes back to bite me. So I want to have a history of this in my life and, and working with people. And then ask wise questions. Why are you going to destroy the city? She literally asked, why are you going to destroy a mother of Israel? And Joab clarifies, I don't want to destroy you. I don't want to destroy the city. I'm on a mission from the king. I need one guy, and he's in there. So she goes back. She comes up with a creative solution, talks to everybody in charge inside. They agree. They execute the plan, no pun intended. And Joab has what he needs, and he's able to go back to David. Mission accomplished. Now, again, it's a gruesome story, but there's also a lot, a lot of great insight that we get on how do you make an appeal in a situation like this. God wants to use you and me. Don't forget humility, having a, a humble spirit, having a history, a track record of having a humble spirit, of being a team player, always helps. And then ask wise questions. Get clarification. Why are you doing what you're doing? These things will help you when you're making an appeal. All right? Now, you ready for the next one? We've heard the phrase that timing is everything. That's not absolutely true, but there is a lot of truth in it. Timing really does matter. It's very, very important. This next person understood that so much that they took three days to pray and fast before going in to make an appeal to their authority. Do you know who it was? I can't tell you the reference because if I give you the reference, it'll give it away. But I think you'll figure this one out. All right? We'll, we'll see you in just a minute. All right, so you probably know now that we are talking about Esther. Esther chapter 4, we have this story where she goes in to Ahasuerus and makes an appeal. And if you read all that, there's a lot here. By the way, just a side note, there's five of these stories um, you might take with your family and use them as devotionals this week or, or stories that you could look at and see other insights Get coloring pages if you have small children. You can print them off usually online. They're, they're coloring pages that you could use. Or have them draw their own pictures of what, of what you're talking about and what they see. But Esther is one of those great, great stories of, of a lot of things. I mean, she, she demonstrates a lot of things. Let me show you a few that I think are so important. First of all, she is doing this on behalf of others, not herself. Even though Esther's a Jew, nobody in the court knows it. So really, she could kind of just kind of fly under the radar, go through this terrible thing that's about to happen, and probably go through unscathed. I mean, she's 
part of the queen's uh, part of the king's harem. Um, she's she's protected in a certain sense, but her uncle comes and reminds her, you know what, you can do that, but God still sees. He knows, and He's called you to this point in time for such a time as this. He's brought you to the kingdom for this moment. So she goes and she's making appeal, not for her own benefit. As a matter of fact, she has a lot to lose in this. She's doing it on behalf of others. This is another principle of making an appeal. Um, I often find in my own life I'm much more effective when I'm making an appeal for, that, that's going to benefit other people more than it benefits me. Here's something else about this. She recognizes that she's got to have the power of God at work in the heart of the one she's appealing to. Otherwise, this is going to go very badly. She knows that she can lose her life by just showing up in the king's presence without being invited. And so that's why there's three days of prayer and fasting. That's why timing is so important. And so she recognizes, Lord, I need your power at work. And so, Lord, I need to know the time. I need to, the preparation needs to be made. Um, I'm crying out to you. I'm seeking you because it's not just my words. It's just not my presence. It's not just, in Esther's case, her beauty that's going to save the day. It's the power of God at work. And timing is everything. So she's seeking the Lord before she makes the appeal. Now, here's one other thing about Esther that's really good. She's willing to take the consequences for doing what's right, even if it doesn't turn out the way she hopes. Because she told Mordecai, you have everyone else praying with me. I'm going to have my handmaids. They're going to be praying with me as well. We're going to be fasting and praying for three days. I'm going to go see the king after that. We're trusting God. And if, it, and if I lose my life, she says, if I die, I die. There's a willingness to suffer the consequences for doing the right thing. We learn a lot from the life of Esther. And so these things help us when we're making an appeal. First of all, am I doing it just for my own benefit? Or is it really benefiting others, what I'm appealing about? Number two, do I recognize the need for God's power at work? It's not my words. It's not my talent. It's his power at work in someone's heart that's necessary. So I'm going to seek him for the proper time, and I'm going to seek his face for him to do his work. And then, whatever the consequence, I'm going to trust him. All right? We learn a lot from Esther. One more. You ready for this one? This person included accurate information, specific details, and a willingness to personally sacrifice in order to see it accomplished. All right? So they, they included accurate information to the one in authority. They gave specific details and specific requests. And they were also willing to personally sacrifice in order to make it happen. Do you know who this is? I can't give you the reference. It would give it away. All right? Well, why don't you talk about it among yourselves? We'll be back in just a minute. So, if you had a hard time with that one, well, you go over to the book of Nehemiah, you will find it. Nehemiah chapter 2. Now, Nehemiah hears about what's going on back in Jerusalem, how the walls have been destroyed, the city is in ruins, the people suffer, they're a laughingstock. And what really stirs in his heart is the fact that this is the city that represents Jehovah God, his God, uh, the God of the world. And it lays in ruins, and his heart is broken. And the people of God who are scattered, and his heart is broken over all of this. And he's praying, and he's seeking the Lord. 
He repents. You'll see that in his prayer where he cries out to God. He repents for himself and for his people and how they've turned their back on God. And he's praying and reminding God of how God has promised to restore if his people will call out. And so Nehemiah is, is talking with the Lord and doing all this, and he's, he's, he's wrestling through all these things when he finds himself in front of the king because he's the king's cupbearer. Now, I don't know that he intended on the day that this happened to share his appeal. Scripture kind of indicates that he really didn't, that it happened in the moment. But he was ready when the moment came, even though he may not have been looking for that exact moment. Because the king says, Nehemiah, why are you so downtrodden? Why are you so sad? And Nehemiah knew he was in trouble because you couldn't be sad in the king's presence. That was a death sentence to be sad in the king's presence. It's not today, although sometimes it'd be nice if we had some kind of penalty for being sad. But anyway, that's a whole other subject, all right? Um, Here is Nehemiah caught. And he realizes, I just got to come clean. I got to tell him what's going on. And he does. He shares with him why he's sad. He gives specifics. He shares accurate information about what's going on, what's happening to his people, what's happened in Jerusalem. The king says, what do you want me to do about it? What, what should happen with all this? Nehemiah gives very specific. I'm going to need letters for this. I'm going to need materials for this. I'm going to need freedom for this, um, this, amount, this amount of time. Because the king says, how long are you going to be gone? He had very specific things he thought through. Here are specific things I'm going to need in order for this to be accomplished. But I want you to notice something. He also was willing to go himself. It would be much easier to stay back in the palace and we're in the safety and security of the palace and serving the king and all the luxury that went along with it than to take this long road trip through all kinds of dangerous territory into a place where he knew there would be dangers. But Nehemiah was willing to sacrifice and to personally engage in, in accomplishing what it was that he was bringing before the king. This is really important when you bring an appeal. Bring accurate information. Bring specific requests and be willing to personally sacrifice to make it happen. It's not just that I want someone else to do this. I'm willing to engage. I'm willing for it to cost me something to see this through. I'll tell you something, being someone who both has been employee and employer, it means a lot to me when I see someone who does these three. When they come with that spirit of having thought through, bring me accurate information, give me some specific steps to take, and then be willing themselves to sacrifice to see it through. When you come to someone in charge and you just want them to sacrifice to see it through, they're not usually very excited about that. They were already sacrificing to see a lot of other things through. So remember this when you're making an appeal to someone. It's very, very beneficial. All right? Now, we've had these four stories, these four characters. Why don't you take a moment here before we go on and just ask the Lord, what do you want me to see? In any one or all of these stories, what is it that I need to see right now for where I am in my life? See what the Lord shares with you. We'll be back in just a minute. All right, welcome back. One more, one more story, one more character that we want to talk about. This one probably encapsulates most of what we've talked about thus far. You see it in this one individual. That's Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, Let me read you verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. 
Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. All right? Now, if we go through the story of Daniel, and you can, again, that would be a great, a great devotional this week. Um, but if you went through Daniel, you'd see a number of things that he does. Um, he's creative. He comes up with some solutions for the chief of the eunuch. Uh, he's respectful. He has the right attitude. Um, he has a history because the scripture says that he had favor already with the chief of the eunuchs. So he has a history of, of being cooperative, of walking with, of being a life giver, if you will, to use that term. So he has this history. So when he comes to the chief of the eunuchs, it makes it really difficult. Matter of fact, later on, in Dan- way, way later in Daniel's life, He doesn't make an appeal because he knows it won't do any good. He just takes the consequences when he's thrown the lion's den. But he has such rapport with the court that the king loses a night's sleep worrying about Daniel in the lion's den. That's the kind of track record that he had. I love the scripture when it says of Daniel that not one of his words fell to the ground. I don't even know all that that means, but it sounds like a pretty good thing. And Daniel has all of this going. So we see so many of these qualities and characteristics in his life. Let me show you one that we haven't looked at in the others, though. And I think you see it specifically in Daniel because we know that he spent a long time, decades, serving in the court of four different kings. All right? So he spends most, if not, well, it was most, the majority of his life serving four different kings, four different bosses, four different temperaments, four different agendas, uh, four different ways of doing things. All that he had to go through, there are two recorded instances where Daniel had a crisis of conscience. Two. In all of those kings, in all of those years, two. You say, Troy, what's the point? My point is this. Don't overuse appeals. Um, Anything that you overuse loses its effectiveness. You'll notice in all of these situations, it's a pretty serious um, scenario that's going on when they come and they make these appeals. Daniel is doing that as a young man. He's coming, he's making an appeal. Why? Because he's already determined, I want to follow God as he's asked me to follow him. How had God asked Daniel to follow him? Not to eat the things he was being asked to eat or drink the things he's being asked to drink. He, the, it wasn't that it was bad food. Matter of fact, it was probably the best food in the kingdom. It was the fact it wasn't consistent with the Mosaic Law and the dietary commands of the Mosaic Law. And Daniel wanted to follow God as he had been told and commanded and instructed to do. And so he's got this crisis of conscience and he goes to the eunuch, and, or the chief of the eunuchs, and he says, don't make me do this. Please don't make me defile myself with the king's meat and with his food. And the, and the chief of the eunuchs is like, Daniel, I want to help you out, but... I don't want to lose my head when the king says, what's wrong with these guys? They're not eating what they're supposed to. And so Daniel proposes um, uh, an alternative. Ten days, he says. Ten days. Let's eat fruit, vegetables, drink water. And after ten days, you compare us to the rest of the guys. If we don't shape up, then you do what you need to do. Now, I don't know if Daniel still would have eaten it, but at least he gave an alternative before just saying, I can't do this. And so after 10 days, the king himself noticed, hey, these guys look better than these guys. They're just sharper. What's happening here? Well, they've got a different diet. They're doing something different. Well, how come they're doing that? They asked. They made it. And so we had this test to see. Again, there's wisdom that comes in all this because of the right spirit. 
But there's in Daniel a commitment. I'm going to follow the Lord no matter what. And when you and I make that commitment, there will be occasions that come up. Not every week and not every day, but there will be occasions that come up where we have to be creative, where we have to come and make an appeal, where we have to make a suggestion, maybe we could do it this way. And sometimes they're going to say, no, you can't do it this way. And then like Daniel in the lion's den, then I take the consequences. I go where I have to go. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were Daniel's his, his, uh, companions, they end up in a fiery furnace. There are times where that happens. We just don't want to run to the lion's den to start with. I may end up there, but I'm going to try some other options before I get there. This is really, really important that we understand. Don't overuse an appeal because the fact is if you're appealing everything, you cause the one you're appealing to to not really want to listen because you're always doing the same thing. Daniel's a great example of that. All right? So as we are thinking about an appeal... There are all kinds of situations, and there are more stories in Scripture. We didn't hit them all. There are more that are there. But I want to challenge you in this, that more often than not, you want to be able to submit. You want to be able to do what's asked of you. You can be creative in it and all those kind of things, but sometimes you're going to be asked to do things that you really can't do, that your conscience won't allow you to do, that you, the Lord just won't give you freedom to do, or you can see some danger in doing it that way. And here's some practical steps that we learn out of God's Word to be able to apply in those situations. We learn them from Esther. We learn them from the wise woman. We learn them from Balaam and his donkey. We learn them from Nehemiah. And we learn them from Daniel. And Lord, we thank you for all those examples in our lives. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. You know, it's interesting how God puts things together. Uh, I'm always amazed to see how he does that. I was preparing for this, this what we're going to talk about today in the appeal. And Lori came to me and she said, do you know that Romans 12 talks about an appeal? And I thought, not that I remember, it doesn't. And, but it depends on your English translation. Uh, I grew up with King James. I'm memorizing King James. So King James says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God. All right? We don't use beseech anymore. Uh, newer translation would say, I urge you, I encourage you, I beg you, I plead with you. But the ESV translates it, I appeal to you. It was interesting when she brought that up. In a real sense, the appeal is going the other way. We're not making the appeal. We're being appealed to. Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is appealing to us. And the interesting thing about it is he says, I appeal to you to do this thing, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. You know, the thing that was interesting as I began meditating on that, all five of the characters that we looked at today and what we learned from them are wrapped up in that one appeal. I appeal to you that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Because when we do that, we're learning to see danger. We're able to see danger uh, that we might otherwise miss. And we're also able to be alert and attentive to what God is saying instead of seeking after temporary gain, um, temporary reward. When we sacrifice, when we surrender our bodies as a living sacrifice, when we give ourselves, say, Lord, I'm yours, no matter what. When we heed that appeal, then we are able to be part of God saving people in this community because he uses us in his kingdom work in this community. He also uses us, like he did Esther, to be able to go to bat for other people 
to be able to appeal on their behalf and to be able to see God's power at work, to see him do supernatural things that we might not otherwise see and sometimes even be able to say, you know what, I've settled this issue so much that even if it doesn't turn out the way I want, I'm willing to take the consequences. We see it in Nehemiah. Don't you want to be part of building God's kingdom here on on this earth? Whatever his kingdom looks like for you, whatever part he wants you to play in building of that, when I surrender myself, when I heed that appeal, I get to be part of that. And then with Daniel, I learn to be able to say, you know what? I cannot defile myself with all the stuff of this world. Is inviting as it might be, as entertaining as it might be, that I, Lord, I want you. I want to follow you. I want to be sold out. I want to be all in for you, Jesus. Not the sensual rewards that this planet and, the, and this, this kingdom offers. All of these things are wrapped up in that one simple appeal in Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice. That's my challenge to you and to me. It's Paul's challenge to us because ultimately it's God's challenge to us. God bless you. Grace and peace.